G'day guys, CB here. Thanks for listening to this episode of Chewing the Fat. Today, I had an awesome conversation with JY about recovery from training. We spoke about the importance of recovery and the best ways to go about it. Please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you haven't already. And you can find us on Instagram at chewingthefat underscore podcast. Thanks guys, hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to Chewing the Fat with CB and JY. I am CB, Chris Bryson. And I'm JY, James Young. Chris, how are you, mate? I'm well, mate. We have been mask-free since November 23. And what a um, pleasure it is. Yeah. What mate, a pleasure it is. How good is it getting down the street and just oh, having no mask on? Like, the simple things in life, mate. A bit of a stroll down the beach the other night and you can actually smell salt water. Yep. Like, how good is that? Yep. And you just, you feel that little bit more freedom. I was uh, I was speaking to someone at the cafe and I feel for the cafe workers having to wear their masks, but can't, uh, I can't think it'll be too much longer before that'll uh, get the go now that we're also down to zero active cases in the state of Victoria. Melbourne is finally getting back to normal. So guys, well done everybody. It's, uh, it's a real credit to the whole of our uh, of our wonderful state for um, getting their act together and uh, helping stop the spread. No one predicted the pandemic, but we've uh, done a good job of recovering. Yep. And I, I feel like there was a real correlation between when everyone just got their shit together and when we started this podcast. You totally missed my really cool segue into mm. today's topic. Uh, I thought I'd um, I thought I'd just start talking, <laughs> but I um, I'd like you to go ahead and repeat that, please. Melbourne's just recovered so well from this pandemic, JY. So it's only fitting that we talk about... Oh, pandemics. <laughs> We're going to talk about the, uh, the Black Plague, Swine Flu, Ebola. Uh, this is the Chewing the Fat episode 11 pandemic episode. Well, I haven't prepared for this. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I've just completely derailed it. Today we're talking about recovery. So what we're going to do is recover this awful start and yes. get back into it. Yes. So, Chris, what are we talking about today? Give us the rundown. Well, recovery, mate, is such an important, underrated, undervalued part of training. And we're all about training. We're all about health and fitness. We've touched on it very, very briefly before in a few previous episodes. But I want to go into detail today on why recovery is so important and how we can all go about recovering in the best, most effective, evidence-based ways possible. And recovery is crucial for everybody, no matter what level of uh, training they do or how long they've been training for, because at the end of the day, all of life's stresses cause some form of, uh, you know, we need to have some form of recovery. So whether it's training or whether it's you know a lack of sleep or whether it's you know just the stresses of work every day, recovery is the byproduct. Of, uh, of these stresses. So, Chris, today, you're gonna to be speaking a fair bit, so we're gonna treat for the listeners, but I'm gonna shut up a lot more today, so. Thank God. I know, um, I'm sorry guys, like I know that this isn't necessarily what you want. Um, <laughs> I'm happy to just, if anybody can quickly just message in to me now. Actually, this isn't live, so no one can, but. It's a podcast, not a radio show, It's a podcast, not a radio show. That's the, Maybe next, that's the next step. Um, but I'm gonna be throwing it to you, Chris. Um, how about you give us a start? What is recovery? Well, essentially the reason why we train 
is different to every individual, but every individual has their own reasons why they're trained. And it's essentially because we want some sort of adaptation. So we're talking generally, our, our sort of domain is in the gym, is generally resistance training. And in terms of that, people will walk into the gym and they want an adaptation, which is either fat loss, increasing strength, or hypertrophy, and increasing muscle size. Now, for other forms of training, if it's running, for example, we might want cardiovascular adaptations. If it's sports specific, we might want it, um, skill-based adaptations. But whatever it is, the reason why we're training is for an adaptation, okay? And in order for our stimulus, which is the training that we put ourselves through, to create the adaptation that we want to get out of our training, there's a missing link right in the middle, and that's recovery. So no one ever thinks of that. People think, okay, this is the end goal. This is what I want to do. I want to get stronger, lose weight, put on size, get faster, whatever. And this is how I'm going to go about doing it with the stimulus and with the training. But right in the middle, we need recovery. Otherwise, the whole process won't occur. So worst, best case scenario, you're not gonna get the most effective adaptations that you're after. Worst case scenario, your performance is gonna be decreased and your risk of injury is gonna be significantly spiked. Yep, absolutely. Um, would you like to uh, quickly discuss the SRA model? Yeah, well, essentially, what I've just sort of touched on can be summarized with the SRA principle of the SRA model. So SRA stands for Stimulus Recovery Adaptation, which is like we've just sort of touched on. Stimulus is your training, adaptation is the goal, and in the middle of that is recovery. So stimulus recovery adaptation is the SRA principle, and that underlines, you know, literally everything that anyone should be wanting to do with any form of training whatsoever. Absolutely. Um, nice, mate. Well, what are, what are some of the best ways to recover? Now, we're gonna start from the top. Um, the, there is one single most important recovery method that we wanna to touch on. Um, we've actually done a whole podcast on this a couple of episodes ago, and that is sleep. Now, sleep is not sexy, it's not cool, it's not you know always the first thing that's spoken about in terms of training or sports science or sport or whatever. Um, people always go for the more fancy stuff. They wanna go for ice bars, they wanna go for compression, they wanna go for massage, they wanna go for you know foam rolling, they wanna go for stretching, they wanna go for theraguns. And we're gonna talk about all these things today, but the single most effective and most important recovery method is simply getting a good night's sleep. Okay, we're not going to touch on this too much because we do have a whole podcast on the best ways to go about that, what we should be aiming for in terms of sleep, um, but it's the biggest fish, and if we're not sleeping adequately, well, then that's when we might need to turn to and worry about some of these other recovery strategies, but essentially all these other recovery strategies that we're going to talk about after this are almost not necessarily or not needed, provided we're getting a good um, night's sleep consistently you know, since, after our training. Ever since I read Eric Helms' Muscle and Strength Training and Nutrition Pyramids, I am a big fan of uh, pyramids. Um, I feel like I was Egyptian in the past life, and, you know, just building things out of bricks that you know, could have been created by aliens. But the uh, very foundation of our recovery pyramid technically should be sleep. Um, all these other, you know, these other recovery methods are just an add-on to sleep. And a lot of us do miss the forest for the trees. We just focus on, like you said, all the theraguns, and we're gonna, you know, what we're gonna do? We're gonna talk a lot about theraguns today because I know you love. Um, um, but we do forget about sleep a lot, don't we? And um, I honestly think that most of our, you know, most of our problems uh, to do with training, fatigue, injury can be fixed with good night's sleep uh, or you know, consistently good sleep. 100%. And to go into more depth about how much sleep we should be aiming for, the best sort of sleep hygiene strategies to, to foster that, please go back and listen to our sleep episode. Episode 9. Episode 9. Please go and listen to that. Um, because that's gonna go into a lot more detail. What I will say is, 
getting a perfect night's sleep isn't always possible for every single person on the planet, okay? So there are some people whose sleep is gonna be compromised for no fault of their own, and they're gonna have to look to all these other recovery modalities that we're gonna go into. And that may be for medical reasons, there may be sleep apnea, it could be mental health issues that are keeping us up at night, it could be the fact that you've got a newborn baby, um, it could be the fact that you live in a busy road, you could be having a stressful time at work, you could be a shift worker. There can be all sorts of different things that go on you know, in our lives that we can't necessarily control. And if these things are impacting on our sleep, then one, we, we need to make, maybe need to accept the fact that we can't necessarily optimize it, okay, and then work our way around that. Now, that may mean reducing our training loads, focusing on other recovery modalities, etc., cetera, um, in order to make sure that we're still recovering and that sleep deprivation isn't impacting on our physical and our mental health more so than it already needs, to, that it already is or than it needs to be. Um, but for those of us that don't have those other external stresses that are potentially, you know, causing us to lose sleep and we're just not prioritizing it, well, prioritizing it is one of the most amazing, influential, effective things we can do for not only our recovery, but our entire physical health. Love it, mate. You want to touch on some nutrition, hydration, recovery strategies? Well, absolutely. This is probably the second most important thing is adequately um, refueling our bodies in terms of replacing fluids that we lose when we're training, replacing the fuels that we use um, when we're training, and repairing our muscles. So you're probably the expert in this area, mate, a little bit more than me. Um, do you want to elaborate on nutrition, hydration for recovery? I like be an expert, mate. I'm definitely not the expert in this, um, but this is a little bit more sort of my field. Um, Generally, we, um, we eat and we hydrate surrounding workouts to be able to both perform the workout and recover from the workout. So when we train, generally we're uh, using um, substrates such as carbohydrates um, for you know, short-term energy, um, fats for long-term energy, and then again, like protein, uh, which is a, you know, like that's like the, the uh, you know, the next uh, form of um energy that we can use and our nutrition surrounding our workouts is what allows us to you know, use these fuel sources so whatever's you know readily available um so when it comes to the actual you know recovery from training so post training sessions if we don't refuel with these substrates all we're going to do is eat into both you know as i said protein was the you know the most the least optimal nutrition source that's what we're going to eat into so a lot of people out there who are looking to you know train recover and build muscle without the actual you know refueling of protein without the refueling of um, glycogen they're not going to be able to both recover and build muscle or they're not going to be able to perform the next workout and we also don't just train once and then in seven days again we train often training is a cyclical thing throughout the week so therefore to be able to and a lot of people will be able to uh, back us up in this when you have a hard training week getting from consecutive sessions is a difficult task and that is where your nutrition steps in your hydration is also very similar in that sense if you're dehydrated you're not going to be able to train also things aren't going to um you know create the most optimal environment to adapt um and we want to make sure that we are adequately hydrated to be able to perform our best. So this is why both post-workout and pre to be able to then perform the training bout um, is so important. So, Chris? Yeah, look, a couple of really simple guidelines that I would recommend in this area, um, and 
there's any differences to these that you recommend, mate, I'd like to hear them. But generally, as far as fluid replacement goes, this is more so your cardiovascular long duration type of exercise or training. Um, every one kilo of weight loss that we lose within a session equates to one liter of fluid loss. And effective rehydration requires intaking or drinking between 1.25 to 1.5 liters of fluid for every one kilo of weight lost um, throughout a training session, essentially. Okay, And the reason why we want to top up more than we lose is because sweat loss and urine losses continue during that post-exercise phase. Okay, um, Fluid replacement isn't alcohol, isn't having getting on the frothies, as Dan oh, Andrews right. would, would say, yeah. um, because alcohol is a diuretic and thus is discouraged in the recovery period, unfortunately. Mate, that is unfortunate. It's also important to remember that those are the guidelines during for quite a high intensity exercise bout. So look, obviously, yes, this is about recovery. We do want to recover, um, so therefore we do want to make sure we hydrate. But if you're doing a you know 30 to 60 minute um, gym sesh where you're hitting some bench and some arms, you're not going to need to you know refuel and rehydrate quite as much as someone who is you know playing footy or um, you know performing some sort of you know high level um, you know let's say wad circuit or something like that. Yeah, so sure. that's just an important little um, little side note. But still, at the end of the day, we do still need to focus on our hydration for sure. And our nutrition for sure. So the second thing, replacing lost fuel. So as you mentioned, carbohydrates are generally the major fuel supply. Um, and so we need to restore glycogen um, in that post-exercise period, okay? So athletes should be aiming to consume roughly one gram of carbohydrate per kilo of body mass um, per hour of training, essentially, for the first two to four hours of exercise, if that makes sense. So um, if you're 80 kilos, consuming 80 kilos of carbs um, after a training session to restore your lost fuel. Once again, a lot more important in the high-intensity, long-duration type exercise rather than your shorter um, sort of At the same time, you'll see a lot of people out there um, who, again, will back this up when you you are performing, I know I'm talking in the gym obviously, um, you are performing a pretty simple um, session, let's say you are doing bench and arms, you will lose, your performance will decrease after subsequent sets as the fatigue does start to set in, which is why pre-workout nutrition is quite important, making sure that you are fueling up with enough carbohydrates to therefore use. Okay, so, you know, we're saying sugarier um, carbohydrates, you know, of the low GI form, um, which also can be um, you know consumed during the workout so intra-workout nutrition as well it's the same sort of thing it allows you to be able to you know perform this is also going to stop you from you know creating um well sorry let me start that again this is also going to delay the you know the sorry someone's calling me that, that distracted me um, but when you um you know when you are making sure that you do have enough um you know energy available you are going to be able to long-term recover better because you're not eating into stores, yeah. basically. Sorry about that. For sure. I, um, <laughs> I think Maybe the other thing... Probably an uh, Arabian prince or something. Turn your phone off while we're recording, would you, mate? Jesus Christ. Oh, but then how can I Tinder? <laughs> well, true, priorities. Um, the last thing I'll mention on that as well is people that are in a calorie deficit, which if you go back to my nutrition episode is going to be the underlying thing that we need to lose weight if that's a goal of ours, your recovery is going to be compromised essentially. So if people are at a calorie deficit and they're dieting, which you need to keep that in mind and be aware of that, your recovery is going to be not quite as good if you're eating at maintenance calories or at a surplus level. Okay. And the last thing to consider with this before we move on is muscle repair. So any sort of exercise, especially prolonged high intensity exercise, causes a substantial breakdown of muscle protein. Um, and obviously we want to put protein back into our body to make sure that that recovery and that muscle repair process is optimized. Um, and a really rough guideline, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, is somewhere between 1.6 to 2.2 grams of protein 
to be consumed per kilo of body weight um, is recommended sort of on a daily basis to maximize hypertrophy if that's your goal. But on a uh, higher end of the range for those who are in a deficit, lower end of the range for those who are in a calorie surplus. Brilliant. Nutrition and hydration nailed. And if you do want more information, once again, we've got another old episode of Chewing the Fat. You can go back Number. to... Number... Two, Seven? three? No, was that one ago? Yeah, it was the one I deleted, Ooh. remember? Accidentally, I'm about to record it again. We're veterans now. Oh, I was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. you are right. That was early. Don't know why I brought that up. That was, that was a horrible time. That was all your fault. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so sleep and nutritional hydration, these are the top of the pyramid. These are clearly the big fish and should absolutely be prioritized, but there are other methods that do have their place that we're going to run through now. Absolutely. Um, first one being active recovery. Okay, and active recovery is essentially defined as low intensity work that's performed after long duration exercise um, to facilitate better performance in a subsequent exercise bout. Okay, and active recovery essentially appears to be the most effective way that we can increase blood flow to our muscles and facilitate the removal of waste products following long duration exercise. So this is more so talking your team sports, your cardio, going for runs, etc. Um, and it can be quite simply like literally going for a walk after you've been on your feet running around a footy field or chasing a soccer ball or going for a you know a 10 or 15k run um, going for a short walk within 10 or 20 minutes of completing that exercise um, can be a fantastic way and there is evidence to support that this is useful um, however when it's coming to I suppose shorter duration high intensity exercise which is more your weightlifting powerlifting sprints etc um, passive recovery does actually appear superior um, so you know if we're talking most of our listeners are probably thinking resistance training getting in the gym active recovery is probably not entirely necessary but after long duration exercise cardio stuff particularly it is very very effective and we're talking really low intensity like as you said walking we're going for a walk ticking your legs over on exercise bike um just some general really basic movements again it's it's something that i often recommend people when they say after a session they'll go what can i do what can i do now to recover generally obviously the sleep the hydration the rest is the most important thing um but if they are really fanging for something, it's a it's a walk. Go for a walk, just chill out, like actually tick the legs over, whatever it might be. Yeah, absolutely. So the next thing we want to chat about is compression, and this is one of my favourite forms of recovery um, for a number of reasons, which we'll touch on. And the research and the literature shows us that compression appears to be effective in recovery from both weight training and endurance exercise. So it ticks those both sides of the equation there that something like active recovery doesn't, and it helps um, for the improving to improve re- the restoration of strength and power essentially. So it helps us to perform again after a subsequent bout of exercise quicker as well as decreasing muscle soreness. Um, it's thought to facilitate the return of blood to the heart, which reduces swelling, inflammation, and soreness, um, we think. And the, the most important thing is the research shows that it's not actually harmful in any way at all. Um, and it can be effective when worn from anywhere between 20 minutes to 24 hours. So when I'm talking about compression, compression garments, compression stockings, a pair of skins, something like that, is what we're talking about here. Okay, so it's one of those ones where it's super simple and easy. You can whack on a pair of skins or some sort of compression garment after exercise for anywhere between 20 minutes to 24 hours and if you feel better awesome and if you don't because there are people that are skeptical and you know don't feel a hell of a lot better afterwards well it's not going to do you any harm so that just might not be the the recovery method for you for me personally i find it works really really well and for a lot of my clients it works really really well okay a great way that i generally recommend to most people and this is just an anecdotal thing it's not necessarily supported by the research but actually sleeping in a pair of skins the night after training like a leg session for example or going for a run or playing a team sport um proves to be really really effective on an anecdotal level um yeah, to back up what the research says from both, as I said, weight training and endurance exercise. What do you normally wear when you sleep, Chris? Um, normally just the undies, mate. 
It's the undies. Except if I'm recovering from a big oh, bout of exercise, the skins on. then it's the long skins. And just touching on what you said before, like placebo is such a powerful thing. And, you know, whether some of the recovery methods that we speak about actually do work or don't work, at the end of the day, and this is coming from a, um, you know, from a coaching perspective, if you find someone actually does something that you might not think is, you know, is well supported by research, but it works, mm-hmm. well then who are we to turn around and say, stop doing that, stop doing that, it's such a waste of time because mm-hmm. cost to benefit, you might have someone who is using <coughs> their guns and uh, they're finding that they're working really well, okay, and they're able to train and their training's at a high level or, you know, whatever their goals are, um, are being achieved thanks to, you know, said recovery form, then don't touch anything, just mm-hmm. let them do it. If it's something that's costing them a lot of money that they're whinging in about and financial strains or, you know, it's a lot of effort and they're, you know, discussing how they don't have time to do the actual training itself because they're, you know, doing the recovery, mm. well, then that's different. But if something simple like sleeping in compression pants, well, go for it. 100%. Whether it works or not, it's very, very, very low cost yeah. and potentially could uh, could work a treat. And that's like these last five or six that we're sort of going to talk about here is, is exactly as you said, some people are going to work great for, some people they're not going to. And the research can be conflicting for some of these topics, but if it works for you, awesome. If it doesn't, cool, move on, try something else. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Um, cold water immersion is the next one. So your traditional ice bath, okay? Now, this has been pretty popular for decades now. Um, and as far as the research goes, research says the cold water immersion and contrast water therapy, where you're sort of moving from an ice bath to a hot bath and sort of repeating, may be beneficial in decreasing muscle soreness and may be beneficial in improving performance markers. So there is some evidence for it, but it's not clear. And once again, the timing of this in terms of when we should do it post-exercise and the dosage in terms of how long we can do it, there's not really a consensus in the guidelines. So we think it may work. It's super popular, but we're exact, not exactly sure why, how, or the best ways to go about it. Okay. Um, a couple of things I will say on this is that as far as picking your form of exercise, so once again, if we're doing weight training and resistance training, it may not be the best form of recovery method. Um, and the reason for that is recent evidence actually suggests that cold water immersion may blunt the inflammatory processes that are involved with hypertrophy, which is putting on muscle size, and therefore can decrease muscular adaptation to strength training. So for people who are lifting weights and wanting a recovery method, as I said, this, this is not a clear consensus yet, but the literature is leading us towards the fact that it may not be your best option. You should probably steer clear, okay? And I think that preliminary evidence is enough to, if you're doing resistance training, probably don't go for cold water immersion. However, it can, and it may be effective for longer duration exercise, running, cardio, team sports, etc. okay? One more thing I'll touch on before, I mean, you want to butt in there, is... So many local footy teams I see all the time. Super popular. Go down to Port Melbourne oh, Beach on a Sunday. You love this. Love this. Get in the cold water, okay, and they stand around for 20 minutes in the middle of winter freezing their nuts off and feels horrible and they think they're doing the right thing for recovery. And they may well be because it may help and they may feel better and that's all fine. But if this is done after going to an up till five in the morning, getting two hours sleep and then getting in a cold water, getting down the beach for 20 minutes, well, you'll probably miss the biggest fish, don't you? Which okay. night club, Chris? Uh, CQ, of course. Yeah, Back in the day. <laughs> Back in the day. Before you had a family. Before I had a family. <laughs> Dog and the missus, well, basically a family. Almost. Um, and before pandemics. That's what we're talking about today, isn't it? Yes, yes. <laughs> so... Um, I will say on that as well, once again, it's not bad for you. Like if you've had no sleep and you want to do one of these things, as I said, cool, it still may help. Um, and as far as the local sport level, a bit of team bonding on a Sunday morning discussing the hangover and the you know the exploits from the night before might be just as effective for, for other you know psychological, psychosocial reasons. Um, however, yeah, it's a one percenter, long duration exercise, not so much weight training. What you said there as well, touching on the hypertrophy aspect, um, 
That's basically in regards to acute recovery. So one thing important to note, just so that people don't start now, you know, doing the hottest showers that they can and wasting their hot water, is that if you are someone like me, actually, I enjoy a cold shower to wake up in the morning. What? I love it. I love oh, it. This is the... Uh, we're we're going to get Wim Hof on this podcast soon, because I'm sure you can tell us more about it. Do you know who Wim Hof is? No. Okay. Um, Who's Wim Hof? Mate, can you tell so, us on a Wim? Uh... <laughs> Nice, he's like the cold water breathing dude. He's the one who like, he went like, I can't remember what mountain it was. What's the big mountain? Kosciuszko? No. Everest? Everest, I think it was Everest. He went up there with like, like basically like no clothes or something. So he's crazy. Um, but he's got the Wim Hof breathing method, which is what allows you to like accept the cold. And his whole thing is like cold water and, you know, the cold creates a, you know, strengthened immune response. Um, it forces your body to basically work over, you know, um, or to overwork to, you know, maintain immunity which means like in other circumstances your immune system is better um whether that works or who knows i doubt it's as well researched as a lot of other things however i love a cold shower in the morning because it does wake me up there's a like especially in the summer it does as we sit here in my apartment my apartment has wooden floors and it does get a bit warm in the morning the sun comes up into the glass that often wakes me up cold showers the treat where obviously um you know, where, what you said before in regards to cold water and recovery, I'm not having that cold shower after training. This is what we're talking about. We're explaining that, you know, if you go hit the gym and get in the shower quickly and make sure it's cold shower because you need to recover, well, that's where you're going to blunt the hyper, hypertrophic response. However, cold shower in the morning or a bit of cold water, don't have to now steer clear of cold water. No. That's not what we're saying. No, no, no. Just to confirm to the, uh, to the audience. But um, everybody go and uh, look up Wim Hof. Because if anybody can do his breathing technique properly, I'll buy him a beer because I've tried it and it's very difficult. I won't buy you a beer, Chris, because I've got that look in your eyes. And yes, you owe me enough beers that I don't think I, I don't think I need to get you one. So I was already googling it. <laughs> hey, those fingers. Um, massage. Massage. So massage is one that we spoke about. You know, in terms of things that are cheap and easy and effective. This is not it, essentially. For those who are at the elite level, they've generally got availability of massage therapists and physiotherapists and masseuses and myotherapists and all sorts of things um, at their disposal. And that can be super effective for those guys. But for those that are not at the elite level in any given sport, it can be quite expensive and it can be time consuming, okay? What does the research say as well? Well, once again, the research is conflicted as for massage as a recovery tool. There's actually no clear evidence that massage helps to improve performance measures, which means like you know your strength, jumping, sprinting, endurance, etc. It doesn't actually hasn't actually been shown to help improve the speed of recovery of those um, sort of aspects. However, it does has been shown in the research to have small but significant effect on both muscle soreness and range of motion or flexibility. Okay, um, so once again, this is going to be a very individualized thing. Um, you know, some people are going to have the resources, the time, the money to spend on that, um, and that can be fantastic and make them feel a hell of a lot better as part of their routine if they are pushing their body to the limits. But other people aren't going to have those resources, and for those that don't, you know, it's you're probably not missing out on something that's incredible or magical that you know some people would make it out to be. And it's the same point that we said before, placebo. So if it does if you do feel like it works, but then go for it. And there are some you know areas of the body. Um, we're talking about. Um, we're talking about physio massages here, guys. Just making sure everyone's aware of that. We're not talking about um, yep. So not talking the, about what? Uh, we're not talking about those massages. What, um, what massages? What are you talking about? Those um, yeah, the uh, the Thailand specials. I don't know what you mean. Uh, you wouldn't, would you? No, no. Um, 
if you've got tight traps and you feel like someone digging an elbow in your traps makes you feel better and you get rid of neck, you know, headaches and things like that, that's fantastic. But, you know, again, from my side of things, generally people who move and um, can, you know, put their body through planes of movement better will generally not have those issues. So, you know. And obviously, massage is something that I utilize as a treatment method within my practice literally every day or the vast majority of my working days. Um, So it definitely does have its place. But what I will say is it's most effective when used infrequently in small dosages because the more frequently we're having it, basically we get diminishing returns, the less effective it can be. And also it can create an external locus of control. And what I mean by that is there can be athletes, and this is particularly prevalent at the elite level, that think that if they don't get their massage after game day or training or whatever, that their body's going to break down and they're not going to feel right. And we need to make sure that this particularly, because it is an expensive and time-consuming option, is something that's complementary and it's there when needed and it can be very, very effective, okay? And there is research to show that it is effective for a particular reason. It's not just a placebo for most people, although it probably can be to some extent, but we don't necessarily want to create that external locus of control and rely on that to feel good and think, oh my God, if I haven't had my massage, then I'm not going to be any good and I'm going to break down and I'm not going to be able to jump as high or lift as many weights or, or run as fast, essentially. Exactly right. Good point. Really good point. Yeah. All right. Now, the next thing we're going to talk about, which is probably a great segue from massage, is essentially self-myofascial release, which is a fancy way to say foam rolling, spiky balls, other devices like that. Okay. And this is essentially self-massage, which has all the same benefits of a massage, but it's quicker, cheaper, and easier because you can do it yourself. Okay, um, foam rolling is is the biggest one, and it's been hugely popularised, I suppose, in, in the gym setting over the last ten years. Um, it's been a bit controversial as well because some people love it and some people hate it, and some people think it's awesome, some people, some people think it's bullshit. Okay, foam rolling actually is a really good, effective tool. Um, and evidence backs that up. The research tells us that foam rolling is effective in reducing muscle soreness and perceived pain levels after exercise. Um, we're going to get onto stretching in a minute, but stretching has been the most historical, um, I suppose, commonly used recovery method. And foam rolling has been shown to be superior and it's highly recommended over all sorts of stretching, whether it's static, dynamic, or PNF stretching, post-exercise to help with DOMS, which is that delayed onset muscle soreness, okay? Like other things, the optimal timing and dosage is unclear, meaning we don't know the most effective time to use it after exercise or exactly how long we should be doing it. My general rules of thumb is within a day or two after a big training session, a run, a game, a match, whatever, um, getting on a fine roller for between one to two minutes per muscle group that's sore using a moderate intensity pressure should be enough to be quite effective in reducing muscle aches and pains. And it's something that you should use that, you know, you shouldn't be on for 20 minutes per hamstring and that's taking half your gym session or using up your whole lunch break at work or taking up all this time. It should be one or two minutes per muscle group. That should be effective. And it's something you should get up off the foam roll straight away and say, cool, I actually can feel significantly better. I feel a bit of a difference there. It's not something that oh, I'm, I'm killing myself and I'm spending all this time then I get up and it doesn't change. It should have an immediate effect if it's going to be something that's useful for yep. you. Once again, individual results will vary. Um, so if you try it and you like it, grouse. If you don't, if you think it sucks, or if you don't like inflicting that sort of pain on yourself, well, that's cool too. And um, that's a segue into something that I've been dying to speak about this whole session. I know I've still got two more points. Um, might wait till after. I'm going to wait till after. I'm going to wait till after. Just touching on foam rollers, I used to, I used to jump on the foam roller for like fucking half an hour before a session. Like no joke, I would, I would be rolling everything. And by the time I'd finished foam rolling, I was I couldn't really be arse training anymore because I've been rolling for that long. Now, I can't remember, you know, the last time I foam rolled. I probably haven't actually foam rolled anything for maybe nearing on three years now. And 
some people who listen to this podcast will, you know, be like, that's blasphemy. You're, you know, you're a trainer and you train and you don't foam roll. What are you doing? You, you know, you're not recovering. Your body must be all over the show. And it's like, well, no, the benefit of me spending time foam rolling is not as, you know, I don't get as much out of it as I would just getting in there and training. You know what I mean? So I go through the movement for, as a warm up. the actual foam rolling doesn't, I, I don't feel like it helps me recover because I am generally on top of my sleep and my nutrition and my hydration. Good boy. So for the big, you know, the big three pillars, the bottom of the pyramid, as we said before, whereas I ranted on about before, I'm covering those. I think those. I said the top of the pyramid before, but it's definitely the bottom. Yeah, the bottom you go the bottom up. You go the bottom we'll put a link to the recovery pyramid. Unless it's an upside down notes. pyramid. No, because at the end of the day, the aliens did create the pyramids, so we don't aliens. know. Aliens created the pyramids. Have you not seen that uh, that, well. that um, Netflix documentary as well? Have you watched Zeitgeist? No. Yeah, that's that's your homework. Google Zeitgeist. It's it's going to blow your mind. Mate, I've already got homework. It's look up the cold water breathing dude. Wim Hof and then Zeitgeist. God, a lot of homework. And then um, listen to the podcast, um, the Joe Rogan podcast with Alex Jones on it, the recent one. I'll take a week off work to do all this homework. I want to do a podcast just about that. It's insane. Um, Anyway, but yeah, so foam rolling. If you are someone who does enjoy foam rolling, then go for it. I don't feel pressure, though, that you have to foam roll. And I have people who come to me and they go, they're running late to their session. They're running late to their session. They run in and they go, oh, God, I just got to quickly roll. That's you know you're not going to get what you seem to think you're going to get out of the foam rolling quickly you know jumping on the roller and giving everything a you know a two second run over just get into your training um it's not going to really provide as much benefit in the long term however placebo still a powerful thing if you feel like it does work then go for it yeah beautiful two more points um second last one is stretching now I reckon we should do a whole episode on stretching because um, there's a hell of a lot of myths we can bust here and a hell of a lot of things we can talk about, but I'm going to cover this in 30 seconds. There is clear, clear, clear level one high quality research evidence that tells us that stretching has absolutely no effect on recovery. It does not speed up the restoration performance markers and does not reduce muscle soreness. So essentially, not recommended. Don't bother. Okay, I will um, finalize that by saying that post-exercise stretching doesn't actually appear to have any detrimental effects on performance or be harmful in any way. And because it has been such a really commonly popularized traditional recovery method that's been used for years and years and years, a lot of people have a preference and they like to feel like they want to stretch and that makes them feel good. As I said, we now know that this is almost certainly a placebo okay but once again if it's not it's not going to be harmful which it's not and it's not going to have any detrimental effects on performance or any costs or anything which it's not if you want to stretch go nuts okay but just know that research tells us it's probably doing close to bugger all okay um theraguns you've been dying to talk about these Ah, my favourite thing. Now, everything we've spoken about today is a lie. We're coming out now. It's all a lie. None of it works. But this does. There we go. The ultimate, this whole podcast, this moment, the only, we should do a clickbait title, the only recovery method you need in order to have a photo of a Theragun because they're that good. Just everybody should go and buy them. I don't even have stocks in them. Like, I just, just go get one. It'll change your life. That's all I need to say. Can I ask you one question? What? Do you have one? I actually don't know. <laughs> 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 oh, so Theragun's, if you haven't seen them, put Theragun into Instagram. It's and basically, thousands it's and basically thousands of just like a glorified vibrator. Yeah, for your muscles. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> Up to you, but yeah, for your muscles. Um, Theragun's, yeah, it's essentially a fancy, portable, electronic massage tool 
where there's a little massage head on it and you can rub it up and down all the muscles in your body and give yourself a fantastic, great feeling massage um, oh. with a fancy title. And they've been hugely popularized on Instagram and in the last six to 12 months, they've literally gone through the roof, okay? What Theraguns are not is a magic recovery tool. Okay, what they are is essentially another form of self-myofascial release or another form of foam rolling, okay, which is a lot sexier, okay. Um, actually, to be honest, I, I've tried them. They feel really, really good, okay. So they probably feel better than these oh, things when used properly, <laughs> James. Um, and because of that reason, like people spend, they do cost a few hundred bucks and people spend a few hundred bucks on a fancy device that feels good, it's probably gonna help, right? But they're not the be all and end all, and they're not, um, you know, your number one thing that's going to replace every other recovery method that a lot of people think. If you're sleeping like a dickhead and not really worrying about your nutrition, but you're going out there and buying uh, buying a Theragun, it's like, what are you doing? Yeah, it's essentially in the same. You're a genius. That's what you're doing. Exactly. (laughs) Um, We should get showing the fat brand of Theraguns. We might sell them, make a bit of coin. Um, it's essentially another form of foam rolling. So they should be looked at exactly the same way you look at a foam roller. They feel good. They've got their place. They help people feel better. However, a foam roller might cost you 50 or 60 bucks and a Theragun's going to cost you three or 400, essentially. Um, which is fine if you've got the cash and you want to spend that. No dramas at all. Um, but yeah, it's not going to fix all of life problems. It might make you feel a little bit better for a short period of time. Spot on there, mate. Nice. Can I quickly go on my little rant? Absolutely. I'll be, uh, you can probably time this. I'll be real quick. We real quick here. Yeah, you can time it. All right, let's see how we go. Coming on the clock started. 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 Um, my biggest thing when it comes to recovery that I want to remind everyone out there is that we don't train to recover. So the most, you know, the most we, we sit. We're sitting here talking about recovery in depth, okay? And we're explaining all these different recovery methods. However, when we train, we train for an adaptation. Okay, recovery is an element of the process. All right, it's well, it's one third of the process technically. If you are training and then trying to ensure that you are wrapped in cotton wool so that you recover, expecting to then have some form of adaptation post-stimulus, you're probably not actually training hard enough to be able to create the adaptation in the first place. So generally when we train, there has to be some level of fatigue. You have to pretty much feel like shit to be able to get said adaptation or else well, we'd all just look at weights, or we'd, you know, we'd run 100 meters and we'd all get quicker and we'd get bigger and we'd get stronger, okay? Which is why a lot of people kind of, again, the forest before the trees, they worry about the recovery before they worry about the actual training. So they think, I'm gonna do all this training, okay, but I'm gonna be really careful about it and make sure that everything's, you know, really well controlled and then I'm gonna go and recover and then I'm gonna become fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, it's not, that's not the case at all. Recovery is, an element of the process and it is a very 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 important one and as we've said it's often the one that people forget however there are a lot of people on the other side of the equation who are so focused on recovery and they basically put it at the top let's create another pyramid they basically put it at the bottom or the top of the alien pyramid um, and you know they let that compromise the training which is therefore they're going to compromise the adaptation that they get and then they're going to spin their wheels and sit there thinking why aren't i getting bigger why aren't i getting stronger because they're never really training hard enough because they're too busy worrying about foam rolling and you know theraguns so just want to make that as a little caveat so that everyone is you know on board with uh you know, they're picking up what I'm putting down. It's more important to make sure that your training is underway and you're recovering from said training. Don't think that 
foam rolling and, you know, cold water immersion. I'm going through the list here, active recovery, you know, even to an extent nutrition and hydration are going to be better for you than hard, consistent, smart training. That is the most important thing at the end of the day. Two minutes and 19 seconds. Not bad. I thought that was quite good too. Not I bad. In depth there. The last thing I will say, mate, you're absolutely spot on, and it is important to note. Recovery is so important, that's why we're doing a podcast about it. But being sore after training is normal because training needs to induce fatigue in order to create adaptations. So don't let that stress you. Don't freak out about every single little ache and pain. Be proactive with them and prioritize these methods. But some soreness and fatigue from training is normal, and it's not only normal, it is absolutely necessary. We spoke about this in our podcast, our powerlifting podcast last mm-hmm. week. Generally, powerlifters feel like shit. They feel beat up because they're doing big lifts all the time and lifting loads that their body technically aren't really, you know, supposed to be lifting. And that's the thing. Ask any, you know, person who trains consistently um, and has quite large training weeks, you feel like shit. Like, it's just part and parcel of the game. You know what? It's Sometimes it's the funnest part is that you feel like you're fucking putting in work. And if you're always worried about, oh, but I'm so sore, I've got to train, we can go back to our pain episode. We can... Jesus. I think that was episode two. I'm pretty sure that was episode two. Number three was nutrition. It was a cracker. It was an absolute cracker. Chris is the man of pain, um, the sultan of pain. They call him down at Therapy Panola Football Club when he brings the pain on the field. And um, we um, we discussed there that, that is such a, it is a psychological factor. Sometimes at the end of the day, if you feel a bit of soreness after a workout, it can guide you to think that the workout was a good one. Okay, on the other side of the coin, some people feel that little bit of muscle soreness and they think, recover, gotta recover, gotta recover, I feel like pains, I gotta stretch or whatever it might be. We gotta focus on the training first and foremost and realize that recovery is an important aspect of the chain, okay? It is not the whole chain itself. Beautiful, mate. Um, we'll leave it there. That is fantastic. If anyone does have any questions on this topic, slide into our DMs. You can our DMs. Our DMs. We really, it's, we've been saying for a while, we gotta actually promote our channels. Chris, would you like to promote yourself? CB Physiotherapy on Instagram. It's the uh, number one physio um, Instagram page after Move You. <laughs> um, you well, obviously, join the Fat Underscore Podcast. Please yeah, give us yeah, a follow. Please do give us a message listening to the podcast. Um, we're we're going to do a prize giveaway at 200 followers. Um, we're not going to say what it is. All I can say is that it's a picture of Chris, uh, a signed <laughs> photo of Chris. Um, well, I'm so agree to this. If you um, if you can share the page, that'd be great. Send us some messages. Um, you can find me at underscore James Michael Young, where I post all my uh, my stupid life things, or you can actually find my work page at uh, Equinox PS. Um, Chris. Shall I take us away with a quick quote to get us through this? Quote of the um, week, Joe White. We're rambling on now. Um, here's my quote. Um, you often say I'm wise, don't you? Uh, at least once a week. Yeah, at least once a week, uh, whenever we run this podcast. Um, my quote today is, love is a mysterious fish. And um, that's a quote by Paul Rudd in um, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, which is a movie that you should go watch, everybody, because I watched it last night. I forgot how good it is. So love is a mysterious fish. Chris, joke of the week. Is that the quote? Is that the quote? That's that the quote? Seriously, love with? is a mysterious fish. Take no explanation that. like Take it was will. What is there to say? It is a mysterious fish. You're a mysterious fish. Um, so, my wife says I talk while I sleep, but I'm skeptical. You married? It's a joke, JY. Keep <laughs> up with it. Look at this. This is you. Girl, go. My girlfriend says I talk while I sleep, but I'm skeptical. No one at work has ever mentioned it. Oh, that's shocking. <laughs> <laughs> Your quote. <laughs>